you're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyot, and Justin Baki. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyot, and Justin Baki. Back with you for what should be a rather entertaining episode. We have a ton to talk about, um, from wild news to recapping the draft to free agency, which begins uh, here in just from the time you're listening to this podcast. It'll probably be tomorrow um, as that opens up on Wednesday. But before we get into all that, as we always do, got to check in with everyone, see how they're doing. So, Zeke, we will go to you first, my friend. How's it going on this fine Monday evening? That's uh, going good. Uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, it hasn't been too long since we, or maybe it's been a week, but it, it still doesn't feel like it's been a week since we last were out doing the podcast. But, you know, doing good. Just, uh, I mean, it's ready to get going. Like you said, it got a lot of particularly juicy stuff to get to today with, a, you know, a lot to really talk about. So it should be a good time. Yeah. And Justin, what about you? How are things at the Baki household this week? You're going good. Today's basically my Friday, so I got the next couple of days off. Uh, my daughter started dancing tonight, so I got to watch her do that again. And then uh, Wednesday, I'm taking uh, my kids to the development camp, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Just uh, a good week between you know recapping recapping the draft and with this and with the show and being able to go to the development camp and seeing these players right away is is pretty exciting. Yeah, and most of the Wilds' new draft picks should be there, which is very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. A couple names that won't be there, and we'll highlight those here um, in a minute. But before we get into recapping the NHL draft, there's been a little bit of Minnesota Wild news in addition to the draft um, that we kind of wanted to hit on, touch on before we dive headfirst and recap um, what Judd Brackett and Bill Guerin were able to do at the 2022 NHL entry draft. So perhaps the biggest news outside of the draft this past week, um, unfortunately, isn't good news. Um, mm-hmm. it's wild star forward, our beloved Kirill Kaprizov, um, allegedly kind of caught up in a little bit of scandalous activity in Russia, um, with some potentially some fake military ID stuff from when he was 17 playing his junior hockey in Russia. Um, you know, maybe having a military exemption card thing that's expired at the end of June. Um, basically all that leading to Kaprizov potentially being wanted by the Russian military, um, we saw what happened to the Flyers goalie Fedotov, apparently a very similar situation. He was detained, poisoned, and sent to a naval camp, um, in Siberia, which is super fucked up. Um, we're not saying that's what's going to happen to Kaprizov here, but what we do know basically is that Kaprizov has tried to get to the U S, um, via a couple different countries. It hasn't worked out, um, seemingly potentially due to some work visa issues on the U S side of things. Um, but basically kind of what if you need more on it, Russo wrote a really um, great article in The Athletic that I encourage everyone to read. Check that out to give kind of the full synopsis, but that's pretty the high level 
Um, but basically, just what kind of all that has told me is this really boils down to two things for Kaprizov. One is that these allegations probably hold some water, and one way or another, if he's trying to get back to the U.S. Um, and two, um, that this is a both things issue with both being a Russian issue and because of the visa not being able to get back to the U.S. Um, at least at this moment, which I'm assuming is now being worked on by the team. Um, he had an exemption basically last year that the government and the league worked out due to late signings because of COVID and all that stuff. So um, obviously top priority here has nothing to do with the wild. It's about Kirill's yes. safety, his family's safety. Um, but just kind of wanted to to inject our thoughts in here a little bit and just kind of how we're, how we're reading this situation overall. Well, I think, you know, the main thing is, like you mentioned, regardless of – you know, the truth of these supposed allocations, whether they are or not, I think it's, you know, if they are real, then obviously, but even if they're fake, you know, that could still, you know, it's entirely possible that some of this stuff is made up uh, by the, the government there, or the military, or even by someone in hockey over there to, uh, you know, for exact reasons. I mean, you just, we just don't know because, you know, seemingly over there, a lot of crazy stuff, you know, bad stuff happens a lot. So, it's obviously complicated. No, we probably will never know because I mean, as Bruce was said today in the radio, he was kind of even almost regretting, you know, his most recent update that you just mentioned, Brett, putting that out there. Because I think that's just going to be the common theme that we won't probably know too much for a while, just because of you know nobody wanting to say anything that could potentially hurt Kreisov or his situation and put him in any danger. But I think, you know, the, uh, the other thing you mentioned, uh, I think we mentioned earlier with Bruce on the radio, he said that the Wild were working with his attorneys over there or something to get this figured out. And I don't know what he exact what they exactly meant by that. He obviously didn't specify, but said they hope to get that figured out within the next two or three weeks. So maybe if they're, you know, what, you know, who knows what that would mean. But it seems like that obviously the Wild are working out to whatever extent they can. Uh, you know, to keep them safe. And, and like you mentioned, Brett, that's always the most important thing. Um, you know, it, it was a little concerning that he did try to get out of the U.S., obviously, which leads you to believe that he is potentially in some sort of imminent danger. But, uh, you know, for now, you know, like usually just we just don't really know enough. And, uh, you know, like I said, obviously, they're they're all over this trying to figure out. So, you know, hopefully it, it works out here uh fairly soon and that you know him and his family are safe like you said and and uh, hopefully they can uh, you know get him back over here safe and sound uh, ready to go uh, whenever they possibly can yeah i mean first and foremost i hope him and his family are safe <clears throat> um yeah it's just a tough situation uh my gut feeling is uh, i feel like they're gonna be okay just i i'm I'm usually optimistic about things, try to think about things optimistically. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he'll be here by the start of the season. That's my hope. But, yeah, first and foremost, safety is, is the first thing. Just like, you know, with Rossi, you know, his health thing, safety, health was first. The same thing with Kaprizov in this situation. Um, <clears throat> I am kind of wondering if, if he can't get over because maybe visa issues. Who knows? Um, I don't want to read into it too much or assume too much. I, I just – hope he's safe hope his family's safe and he gets here over here on time and, and his family continues yeah. to stay safe over there so yeah and one other one we'll just sorry but one, one other point that i just want to say is i've seen some people who 
obviously we heard that they asked him essentially to stay in the U.S. or go somewhere else in Europe this summer. And like a lot of the guys, he said no. I've seen some people kind of go, you know, trying to blame him for all this and, you know, rag at him. And it's like, yes, you know, you know, you could say it's maybe being some people claiming, you know, basically that it's his fault for going back in the middle of a war with the Toronto government. And that's true. But, you know, they obviously they could not force him to stay. He has family there. He's, he wants to go back just like all these guys. So I think uh, to, I just think uh, to put, you know, just no thought, just to put the blame of the actions of, you know, dictator the tyrannical government and and all that shit that's going on in russia right now on these individuals i don't think is probably the right way to go and i just uh yeah you know like i said i just hope that you know, i just think people need to understand that you know if, if you were in the same position a lot of us probably want to go home if we were right, all like gone. just imagine you're away from your family you go halfway across the world where you don't speak the language you've seen your family twice in the last nine months, and if you go back to even the off season before that, you've maybe seen him a total of, what four months in the last two years, at the absolute mm-hmm. most. With I think it was essentially, I believe it was the, I think there was a Chicago game where his parents were able to come, um, and then I believe they were with him during the All Star game, and so like two three days there, like that's basically the extent that he's seen him um, yeah. since then. Like you would miss your family too, and you'd want to go see him. It's probably very difficult for them to leave Russia too maybe easier for him to come back right so again yeah it's it's not selfish it's you know <laughs> this is a guy who we've seen the ad we've seen the the bubbly attitude and how he cares mm-hmm. about teammates and others and i'm sure it's no different this family i think he's incredibly close to his brother um and that to me is kind of where like this last piece and i'll kind of leave it here um from the russo article this is kind of how it ended and he said as for kaprizov Multiple sources said Wednesday that if he does return to the U.S., he should not go back until after his playing days. But that could put his parents and brother who live in Russia at risk as well. Um, it is clear Russia is trying to pressure NHL players right now to not leave Russia, a league source said. This is not going to be exclusive to Kirill Kaprizov. I don't know how any Russian players can feel confident returning to Russia every offseason now. Or the NHL draft is coming Thursday and Friday. How do you draft the Russian player now? I don't know. It's very complicated. So, again, just scary situation. Kirill's and his family safety are top priority. We'll continue to monitor the situation. Obviously, Russo is going to be your go-to person for any any news. But as Zeke mentioned, like he might just be kind of biting his tongue until he has more confidence in exactly what's going on there. So, mm-hmm. all the best to Kirill and his family. We're, we're thinking about you and hoping that uh, you can get back to the U.S. soon and that uh, your family will be safe as well. Absolutely. Let's go next, moving on from Kaprizov to maybe some more better news, and that is that the Minnesota Wild have extended two of their players from last season. Uh, Restricted free agent Jake Middleton as well as goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury have both been given contract extensions. If memory serves correct, Jake Middleton's deal comes in pretty much exactly what uh, we had expected here on the show. Three years, $2.45 million average annual value, so a perfect type of cheap deal um, to get Middleton through the buyout years of Parisi and Suter and to put on that top unit uh, with Jarrett Spurgeon. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, after he's signing in Minnesota, he's not signing in Minnesota, he's signing in Minnesota, he's not signing in Minnesota drama all over Twitter um, on the day of the draft. Eventually, we did find out that the Flower will indeed be back on a two-year deal 
worth $3.5 million annually. Again, coming in right about what we expected. Um, so before we get into, you don't know if fallout's the right word from the Flurry contract, but <laughs> I guess we can just start maybe for the last time just kind of hashing out uh, your reactions to the Jake Middleton extension. Uh, Justin, we can start with you here. I was honestly pretty happy about it. Uh, $2.4 million, like you mentioned, kind of right where we thought it would be. Um, a, a guy that solidified that top pairing and also helped solidify the third pairing really with Olgowski dropping down to it. So, you know, can't can't complain too much about a guy making $2.4 million in cap hell with uh, top four minutes and playing with Spurgeon. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. Very happy. Zeke? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you just said, Brett, it's not nothing too surprising here. He's pretty much right around, right around, uh, not around, uh, right around what you reasonably expect for, you know, price and money. Like, you know, obviously, I think obviously money's tight for the wild. So even every fiat hundred thousand million bucks can matter a lot. But you know, I think uh, obviously we've seen you know what twenty games of him. So if even a bigger sample size. You know, regardless of whether he plays always with Jared Spurgeon or not, uh, is a pretty good deal, you know, to bring him back rather than having to go out, to, you know, on and, and the free agent market and get into all that, you know, craziness. But, you know, I think for me, just uh, the main take was, you know, the fact that obviously for, for Middleton, you know, he's going from being on the two-way deals in the AHL for the first six years of his career, mm-hmm. you know, probably making anywhere from 60 to 100,000 bucks. And now he's, you know, you know, got traded midway through his first year in the league and is, you know, getting basically a $2 million raise. So uh, just, you know, uh, obviously just good for him. Uh, happy for him that he got that deal and gets to stick around here for a few more years. Yeah. And the, re- the piece I like about this in kind of addition to everything you guys said is we've talked about kind of the age curve in this league too. And I think this is the right term length to kind of see what you have in Jacob Middleton because you're probably buying out the last three or not buying out, but buying what should be kind of the last three probably peak years of his career. And, you know, maybe he does end up like one of those players that, you know, as we've seen already kind of continues to bloom a little bit later in his career. You can kind of see where he's at in year three. You know you're going to have tons of cap space coming out of those buyout years um, with contracts expiring, with the buyouts expiring. So you're going to have the, op- the option to potentially re-sign him at that time or let him walk to free agency if, you know, the fit doesn't look like it's there anymore. But And, you know, just solidifying that top pairing between Middleton and, and Spurgeon, um, you know, basically for comes out to like ten million dollars, so five million a person, not bad for your top pair, not bad at all. Um, Another thing I do want to add is it kind of popped in my head as you said, you know, kind of gets them through the cap hell years. You see what you got in him and. Another good thing is we got all, all these defensive prospects that, that at that time, if he doesn't work out, hopefully one of them are ready to jump in. Yeah, or multiple. So good overall signing for the Wild. Good piece of business from Bill Guerin. We talked about the Fleury extension, um, and up until today, it seemed like there might have been a little bit of drama there um, with the extension of Marc-Andre Fleury, um, specifically with Cam Talbot, more from his agent. Um, but we did get a little clarity on this situation today from Michael Russo on KFAN. Um, but basically, for those who just maybe weren't turned in or were you know out of town over the weekend and weren't checking Twitter, um, basically, apparently, uh, Talbot's agent went up to Billy Guerin and could be seen kind of having a voicing his displeasure with the flurry extension. It's seeming like Talbot a little bit upset, feeling like he's lost his job. Um, I theorize it's maybe less about, you know, splitting starting duties during the regular season and, you know, him kind of taking a backseat as we saw in the playoffs this year and that likely being the trend going forward. Um, apparently, his agent sent kind of a 
strongly worded text to Pierre Lebrun that got out in the Twitter sphere, which apparently has since been corrected. It was a little there is a typo which changed that whole meaning of that text. Um, there was obviously the Bill Guerin quote about "I'll do whatever the hell I, I you know I can do whatever the hell I want" was essentially um, "I don't have to do anything." Blah blah blah. Um, but it sounds like all of that's behind us from what we got from Russo and KFan today um, was that it actually seems like Bill Guerin would be open to extending Cam Talbot for one more year, um, but at an AAV lower than Flurry's $3.5 million, which would obviously be a cut from Talbot's three point six seven that he's making now, which he doesn't think the Talbot camp would be open to, but it seems everything is good. We're smoothed over there, at least for the next year or so. We can probably put the uh, the Cam Talbot rumors to rest, but it definitely was quite the saga there on draft day, wondering, well, you know, and then all of a sudden the Wild could be seen talking to Kyle Dubas, who we know was in the market for a goalie, and there was speculation as Talbot getting traded to Toronto. Nothing ever happens there, and it seems now that uh, Fleury's here to stay at least, uh, or excuse me, Talbot is here to stay for uh, at least the end of his contract. I mean, I think, you know, this has obviously been talked about this on Twitter a little bit over the last couple of days. I mean, I think it's just, you know, I think, Brett, like you said, a couple of things can be true. One, it's completely understandable that Talbot would have been upset that, you know, a guy comes in with 15 games left and takes his job. I mean, anybody would be if someone, you know, just in any sense comes in and takes your job like that. You know, it, it's kind of only human to you know, I guess be a little upset or are obviously a little hurt by that. And that's completely understandable, uh, you know, regardless of how well each of them did or did not play in the playoffs, just it's understandable. But also, you know, as we talked about, Brett, uh, it, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're completely, you know, screwing Cam out or just purposely trying to, you know, be a dick to him, basically. And I, I just think it's like you mentioned, it was a, that was just the decision they made at the playoffs last year. Uh, it, it didn't, you know, obviously didn't really work out in terms of wins, but I think like we saw last year with Camp being, you know, pretty good about it. He didn't seem to ever really complain. Uh, didn't seem to be, you know, moping and all that. Uh, seemed to be a good, you know, good sport about it, being a good teammate. Uh, you know, hopefully, as you said, that, uh, you know, that continues. But, you know, I guess the fact that this kind of stuff has been out there makes me still a little uncertain that, you know, that, is going to stay that way the whole year and that that might not change. But, uh, you know, it, I, I think, you know, like, like I said, it just Talbot seems to be a good guy and good teammate and seems to, you know, like it here. And like in the past seems to be like he got along well with flurry. So I guess it's not, you know, I don't think it's completely over, but as you mentioned, it's probably a, you know, not it's the very least problem. quieted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Justin, anything else to add on the, uh, the the uh, Cam Talbot drama. Uh, not really. I mean, I get his side too because what do, what do guys want to do? They want to play, and mm-hmm. you know he he basically had the job for a while there. Went thirteen zero and three. Uh, basically, kind of got us to where we were. Flurry comes in, adds to that, and he doesn't really play till game six, and and then season's over. So, uh, I mean, really, he just wants to play, and and I understand that, but. Uh, I also understand that they're 37 and 34, and that's the 50-50 split makes sense to me because uh, that'll just keep them fresh through the whole season. So, you know, uh, I hope it works out, and and I'd be open to uh, another year extension to kind of stopgap to Wallstead, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like both goalies, so uh, I I'd like to have them both around until Wallstead can step in because 
as of now, none of the really the free agent goalies stick out to yeah. me. Yep. Well, maybe one or two, but most of them are, are no better than mm-hmm. what we would have here. Yeah, for sure. So I think kind of the natural transition of where to go from here is we can kind of look at this wild lineup now. Um, and it's, you know, it's more or less set. Um, they have now 12 forwards under contract. They have, if you want to include Kalen Addison, they have eight defensemen under contract. And they now have two goalies under contract. Um, of course, if those 12 forwards, we'd be including Marco Rossi in that mix. Um, and all that said, you know, it's, um, you know, free agency, as we mentioned, opens Wednesday. And if nothing changes from now until then, um, it's really not possible for the Wild to make any sort of move. Um, if you include Marco Rossi's cap hit, they have just $570,579 um, in cap space. So really not much you can do with that. I don't even think that hits a veteran minimum amount there. So to me, that means there might be one more move coming. I think a lot of people look at it and go, hey, you have eight defensemen right now. Um, and one of them in the plans is probably not Dmitry Kulikov, and he would shed $2.25 million of cap, which you could probably then in turn flip to add a what sounds like they're targeting um, per Michael Russo as some sort of bottom six forward. We can maybe talk about a player or two that might fit that mold here in a minute. Um, you also have Tyson Jose, who has a $2 million cap hit, um, and then Matt Dumba, who has a $6 million cap hit. Those are probably the three trade candidates um, available. From everything we've gathered, it sounds like Matt Dumba will probably be held at least to the trade deadline. Um, that there still just really isn't a market for him at all. So it would seem like one of those two would likely be on the move in order for the Wild to make a move. Um, but that's kind of where things stand going into for agency. So for the purpose of this exercise, let's assume they're able to clear somewhere between, you know, Kulikov's 2.25 million and maybe him and Joe's cap hit. Of 4.25 million, and maybe make us. I'm not going to call a splash, but make an addition um, in free agency. Zeke, is there any names out there um, that are particularly interesting to you, and that you think could maybe be a decent fit um, for this team as we uh, as we head into another season here? Yeah, I mean, I think I honestly haven't done uh, you know too deep of dive into specific players, so I'll probably let to you know, Brett. I think you no, know, you have maybe a name or two to go into there, but. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's not going to be anybody much different than than what they had. I mean, I can't remember who tweeted it earlier, but they, you know, somebody on Wilder tweeted the, you know, the Jeff Patrick going, "I have three dollars," saying that's the Wild and free agency. <laughs> Pretty much. Even if they, even if they do, as you mentioned, Brett, trade somebody to free up space, they still, you know, don't have anybody. So, I mean, I, I guess I don't, like you said, probably just a bottom six, a bottom six penalty killer of some kind, but. Uh, I guess I'll just hand it over to you guys. Do you, you know, is there anybody that's, I guess, for that role particularly interesting that would, you know, be within their price range? Or Justin, I have a name. If if I want, want me to go first, otherwise, if you have one, you're yeah, you welcome. go ahead. I mean, I have a couple of names, but you can go ahead and go first. Yeah. yeah. So the one I'll start with is uh, Nicholas Abe Kubel, who obviously just won the Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. I believe he spent just one year from there. Came over from Philadelphia. Um, where he was previously, um, he was eligible for a qualifying offer as an RFA from the Avalanche. They did not offer that to him. Um, they did extend Val Machushkin today, eight years, six point one million. Um, it sounds like they're still working on Kadri, so probably just an odd man out in that situation for them. Um, but Evolving Wild, our friends here who do awesome analytics work, have contract projections on their site, um, and they project him about, I think it's a shade under two million dollars average annual value. Um, over the next two to three years. And I think he fits basically that perfect mold of what the Wild are looking for, of that bottom six, 
penalty killer type, I think, you know, if you're looking for someone that you could maybe start on that third line and, you know, when Jordan Greenway is out, I think he could fit that role well in the time being. And then, um, you know, when Greenway comes back, you have options now on your fourth line with, you know, whether it's Freddie Goudreau and Connor Dewar and Brennan Duhame or Tyson Jost, whatever combination of players there, I think he fits in there um, as well. Um, and again, someone that probably comes in in their budget, I think the question is there'll probably be a market for that type of player. Um, does he want to stay in the division and play against the Avs? Does he want to go somewhere else? Um, obviously, that's always the, the caveat with free agency is how do the Wilds sell themselves? But I think you look at they were just the fifth best team in the league last year with, you know, outside of Kevin Fiala, basically no turnover um, in their personnel heading to this year. So he's a guy that would be probably the top of my list. I didn't look too much beyond that because, again, they really can't do anything unless they probably shed. I would even say it has to be two contracts because even if you were to pay him $2 million, now you're right back and you were to shed a Kulikov or a Jost, now you're right back to kind of where you started um, with no cap space, and that wouldn't be including even a 13th forward um, unless maybe you are sticking Addison in the AHL going with a Merrill Goligoski third pair, at which point Merrill's not supposed to be ready for the start of the season. So what do you do there? So it, they have some cap gymnastics to do. So I don't want to dive too much into them. Let Billy and, and Matt Sells handle that. But he'd be the guy, if they can make the cap work, that would be interesting to me in just kind of that bottom six penalty kill type role. Yeah. No, I mean, you could bring Victor Ass back for another year. You know, no, do not nice speak that into existence. On, on the first line. Yeah. Jerry B. Cheap. No, no, just kidding. No, obviously not. Justin, did you have another name or two? I mean, I have some names. I I, I don't know. Uh, Noel Akiari is one that I kind of looked at. I mean, he just had an injury riddled season, which is a little concerning, but he just made about $1.6 million. Uh, he can contribute both ends of the ice, brings energy to the fourth line. Another player that can play the PK and uh, win face-offs. Uh, he'd also bring some grit to that fourth line, which we already have players like Dewar down there who, who bring bring grit as well. Um, I mean, he's not afraid to block shots, and he's won 50% or more of his draws the last two seasons. So he kind of was a guy that I looked at, and, and a lot of the guys I looked at are guys that would be obviously filling bottom-type roles and and would come cheap nothing too crazy nothing like a malkin <laughs> yeah it sounds then, like we'll hit free agency as well yeah um here in a and then one more here. name that i saw was Ilya mikhaev mikhaev yep mikhaev um, i mean he plays on the pk as well and has a uh, speed which you can never have enough speed is something that can help create offense and maybe even some shorthanded chances good defensive awareness uh, I mean, this special teams needs a boost, and, and I think he'd be able to do that as well. So, And he just made $1.6 million as well. Not yeah. quite sure what either, either of those guys' contracts would look like, but I was yeah. looking so cheap. So Evolving Hockey point. has Achari, mm -hmm. who played in Florida last year, projected at a one-year $938,000 contract, which that might be very affordable. Um, Mikheyev, who had a big year, kind of a career year in Toronto, um, six years, $5 million. Um, is what they're projecting him most likely. So he's probably out of the range. Um, even he's to get him, a big payday. Yeah, so he's probably going to get a payday. The cheapest they have him is on a one-year deal at basically $2 million, but after the year he had, I would assume he's probably not going to take that. But, yeah, Chari's a great name there. I think it was actually a player that 
I believe the Wild would have acquired from Boston along with the first round pick um, in the Eric Stahl deal that eventually the Wild turned down to re-sign Eric Stahl. I believe he was the other player in that deal, if memory serves correctly. But yeah, definitely another player that could be interesting there. So again, uh, we're not expecting a big splash by any means by the Wild in terms of free agent acquisitions. If anything, it sounds like a lot of kind of maybe tweener guys that could bounce back and forth between Iowa and Minnesota. Um, and then maybe one bottom six forward if we they find a way to clear cap. So I think the more interesting to th- interesting thing to watch is how they clear that cap. Is it a Joe's trade? Is it a Kulikov trade? Do they just move forward with what they got and bring in you know your Mitchell Chafee types, your Mason Shaw types, your Nick Sweeney types just to fill out in the meantime? Yeah. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind them trying some of these guys like Mitchell Chafee either and see what mm-hmm. they – I mean, like. I don't remember how much they played last year, but I don't think it was very much. Maybe mm-hmm. give them a cup of coffee and see what you got in them too. Yeah, I think that maybe the thing there is they're probably looking for. I mean, I guess I don't know exactly how those guys translate, but he seems to be maybe more of a skill guy. So you know, if those guys fit that role, maybe they're looking for that. You know, that gritty killer. But I mean, yeah, I think, I think Shaw could be that. But yeah, you know, no, maybe if you're looking for guys a little more size. Maybe that's where you're exploring free agents. So doesn't necessarily. I mean, maybe it doesn't be size necessarily, but I guess maybe just playing style. That yeah, for sure. That's the role. So, a couple names from us there. We won't dive too much more into it. Um, if there was legitimacy to Talbot wanting out, um, the one name I'll throw out there is Ilya Samsonov, who is um, not qualified an offer by the Capitals today. Um, I think he'd be looking probably at a similar dollar value to what Talbot is making. Um, I don't know what that term looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I do have Evolving Hockey pulled up in front of me here again. Let's see if I can pull that quick. What they project, goalie is always a little bit tougher. Um, they have it at two years, three million. So potential there if they were to move on from Talbot. But again, as we talked about off the top of the show, that doesn't seem likely at this juncture. Um, could be smoke from Bill Guerin, but usually he's been a pretty straight shooter about that stuff. So... Um, yeah, I think that about covers free agency, um, at least the piece we want to talk about. So let's get into the fun part of the show now where we get to go in and kind of recap what was another overall just excellent entry draft from the Minnesota Wild. Um, pretty much whatever scouting site you want to use, Elite Prospects, The Athletic, Dauber, Hockey, across the board, um, really, really highly um, reviewed draft class again by most sources. Um, Pretty much, I think, bringing the Wild in like the top five to seven teams again, um, continuing to add to this incredible pool of prospects. So to recap, the Wild did have the 19th, 24th, 47th, 56th, 89th, 121st, 153rd, and 185th overall picks in this year's draft. We'll just go right down the board as they did um, on the draft floor, beginning with the 19th overall pick where the Wilds selected Liam Ogren of Jew Gardens um, IF. That's an SHL team now relegated to Allsvenskan because of the dreadful year they had. Um, but he is a right winger, six foot one, 201 pounds, um, lit the Sweden's J20 league, which is essentially the like minor league team for the SHL team um, on fire with 33 goals, 58 points in 30 games. It was the fifth best all time um, 
points per game um, among draft eligible, or excuse me, points among draft eligible prospects in that league. His 1.93 points per game was a new record for points per game in that league. And amazingly, he pulled the full Ryan Hartman move with 28 of his 33 goals coming at even strength. So not a player that we uh, necessarily had on our radar. He wasn't one we talked about on the podcast. Um, I think more or less because he was a guy that seemed to be a little bit higher up on the draft boards and um, a guy that maybe slipped a little bit. And again, Bill Gary and Judd Brackett used that opportunity to pounce and grab another talented, uh, talented winger. Um, as we saw them go after a lot of wingers in this draft, potentially maybe looking to fill the absence of Kevin Fiala. Yeah, I mean, he's <clears throat> one guy that we thought, I don't know if we thought would be there, but we covered him mm-hmm. a, a little bit on the prospects page, and uh, uh, that was actually one of the admins, uh, one of his favorite players in the draft. So he was pretty happy we got him, but uh, like you mentioned, all the records, a uh, couple records he broke or, or you know, marks that he set. Um, he was also on the bronze Linka Gretzky Cup team and uh, the gold-winning U18 squad. You know he'll bring a uh, dual-threat scoring. His shot does more damage than his setups. Um, I did watch some of his YouTube highlights, and he is a very, very good skater. Excellent acceleration and uh, elite-level top speed. Uh, good vision and hockey sense, and he'll also provide good defense and back pressure. So, you know, kind of a player that'll play a responsible game and, and play it with speed. So. Uh, very excited to have him along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it wasn't, it, it doesn't seem like from a lot of scouting reports that he maybe has, you know, star upside or anything for that matter. But, I mean, the first thing, when you look just at his basic stats right away, obviously he's scoring 33 goals in the Swedish Junior League last year. You know, regardless of, you know, what league it is in what country, what level, if you score 33 goals in 30 games, that, you know, is pretty good. And, and like you mentioned, Justin, probably indicative of his, finishing ability to, you know, to create that way. And obviously, um, you know, it seems like at least from what I can remember that a lot of the Swedish players tend to have that two way ability to, that they can, you know, they play that game. Um, you know, I think, you know, this was maybe as we'll talk about it with their next pick in a few minutes here, I think this is maybe, maybe safe pick is not the right word, but I think this is more of a guy who's like a, you know, Ogren who's almost an assured NHLer who, you know, maybe he's, it was a floor you know, pick, even if he doesn't, yeah, even if he doesn't, you know, score a ton of goals in the league, he he probably is at least a good third line player to have on your team in the middle six. So, but obviously, you know, you know, we'll see. Is it eighteen? Um, in the athletic and uh, Corey Promins article, he uh, compared him as a player comparable to Alex Iafalo, who has turned into a really good, you know, kind of second line player in LA. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's not maybe the most, you know, it's just in terms of. You know, skill. It's he's not necessarily a flashy player, but I think he's just uh, just like you said, uh, another really solid uh, player to add to the system. Who, you know, should uh, should be you know turn into a really good player here in a few years. Yeah, and the thing that I liked, and we talked about this on our draft preview show, was the type of players that I tend to lean and gravitate towards, and you know, mm-hmm. for prospects nowadays, is those ones who think the game at a really high level. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's an ability that Ogren has um, really high end pro- uh, processing skills. He's a great puck handler, knows how to create space, get himself to the high danger areas. Um, so definitely, I think a guy that if you get him, you know, if it's with a passer like a Kirill Kaprizov or maybe a Marco Rossi, um, maybe it's with someone like a Matt Boldy, um, just someone mm-hmm. who can kind of create space, get open for some passes, get pucks on net. Um, a lot of his production this year obviously came even strength, but maybe a guy that can mold into an effective maybe second unit power play guy um, as well. 
So I did want to touch quickly on maybe some of Ogren's weaknesses that were identified by scouts. Um, not necessarily things that will hold him back, but just areas to watch um, as we track his development here over the next couple of years. So the main one that kind of popped out to scouts was his defensive skills. Not immediately popping off in viewings. It's a little bit more on the side of kind of what we've seen out of Kevin Fiala, maybe at times with tending to force plays, turning pucks over, maybe not making that right decision in the defensive zone. Um, but I think it just comes with the hungriness to play offense. Um, and I think you just look at the types of players the Wild have been able to develop, how they've, you know, they're renowned for their ability to suppress scoring and, and really help hone defensive skills. So it's not something necessarily um, concerns me by any means. And I think, you know, Zeke, like you said, I think this is a guy that, you know, obviously a lot can change injuries, things like that. But I think it's a pretty safe to project him somewhere in the Wild's top nine. Um, and to me, like looking out, you know, post buyout, as I kind of will for most of these guys, so the next three years or so, I could see him being a nice fit um, alongside Matt Boldy and maybe Murat Huzadinov down the middle. You got two guys a little bit stronger defensively, a guy like Huzadinov that can motor, maybe create space, strong on the forecheck, and we already know who Matt Boldy is. Um, definitely, I think someone that'd be able to get him the puck. So, um, yeah. Overall, great pick. You know, when we were doing our live stream with the Soda Pod, no one there was disappointed with the pick, which is always good. Um, but I think the one that really got us excited, um, a guy we identified on this show was, you know, our one of our top three guys, um, a guy that we weren't sure if, you know, where he would go, which teams would swing on him. But sure enough, the Wild do it again. They find a top 10 talent in the late first round. They go out and grab right wing Danila Yurov. Six foot one, 179 pounds, out of Magnitogorsk in the KHL, um, also the MHL. Um, just an absolute stud. We we're pumped to get him. Um, this is a guy to be excited for. Fingers crossed, as long as we can get him over here in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was sorry, Zeke. Um, no, it's okay. I, I was watching it with my brother and his friend Nick, and when we called his name i just stood up and did like a bunch of fist pumps i was so excited just i don't know <laughs> every year we seem to do this and i think i want to pull this quote from dauber prospects because kind of how i feel too i said this is just getting silly the wild have arguably picked the steal of the draft for three consecutive years not as big of a steal as rossi and wallstead but getting a potential first line winger has a potential um at 24 has the potential to be another instance of highway robbery for Garen. And then it says in three summers when the wild are out of cap hell, they may well be one of those Stanley cup favorites until then they can keep feasting in the mid late first round of the draft. So, I mean, they, they do it again. I love Judd Brackett. I think we should start to maybe, maybe a little too soon, but build the statue, like just start the base <laughs> of it here. So, um, and just watching some of the videos, he's got so much speed, and and his force check is relentless. It just he's yeah. I'll, I'll kind of let you guys talk, and then if you want to bring up the points per game thing, mm-hmm. yeah. But I'll let you guys kind of. Okay. Well, I think kind of what you said, Justin. That's uh, you know, I had another trait in Ogren, and we talked about this on the show last week. How you know, it seems that the Wild you know, from a lot of the athletic and other scouts seem to value compete a lot. You know, like you mentioned with the forechecking and all that, it's, they seem to value compete a lot in, in their prospects and their picks. And, and I think, and as you mentioned, Justin, Yurov's another guy who that, and I mean, you know, reading some of the articles, it seems that he even kills penalties and do that. Uh, so, you know, he's a, not just like a one, 
you know, one-way offensive player. You know, he's not going you know, to be necessarily a liability turn pucks mm-hmm. over his own end. And I think the the first thing you noticed about him when you're watching highlights, like you mentioned too, is that his you know his stick skills and ability with the puck are high end. I mean, there's that goal that went around uh, that you know spoke see and a few other people were retweeting of you know he skates down the wing, toe drags, and comes in and does that little chip up mm-hmm. over high glove. A really awesome goal that I think is a pretty good representation of his, you know, of his skill. And I mean, I think the other thing to mention too is he's maybe not the heaviest guy at 178 pounds, but he's a little bit taller at six one, so he's got good size. You know, he's a right wing. Uh, you know, seems to just like like you mean like you said, he just seems to be a really highly skilled player with his hands. You know, not necessarily a maybe a high end shot or whatever, but I think you know, like you mentioned at that point in the draft. Uh, 24th overall. I mean, they had, as you said, they got their their safe kind of floor pick in Ogren, and then, and I was just like you, Justin. I was also, you know, I was pumped when they made the pick because it's just, uh, you know, even he's another guy who has a fairly significant star potential, and even if he, you know, doesn't become a star necessarily, it seems if that, you know, if they can get him over here in North America, it's another guy who's probably a you know, maybe not a lock, but seems to be a lock to be kind of another top six kind of scoring winger to fit on this team here. Yeah, and if you remember from our preview show, those that listen, we had Byron Bader of Hockey Prospecting, who used basically a um, production model to project how these players will look in the NHL. He talked about Yurov on that show. Um, players in the past who have had Yurov's production, um, how about the names Nikita Kucherov, Alex Dabrinkit, Mike Bossy? Um, obviously those guys are goal scorers, maybe not quite the goal scoring profile. Um, but you know, that's the type of, you know, upside we're looking at here with the guy, um, you're off. Um, Byron's model says that players that look like this almost always make the NHL and turn into stars seven out of 10 times. Um, I like a 70% chance of getting a star player at the 24th pick in the draft. I don't know about other people, but that sounds pretty sweet yes. to me. Um, and I think you, you know, you look at the skills you guys touched on strong two way game, creative with the puck, playmaking ability, work ethic. Matt Zuccarello is only getting older. You're going to need someone to put on the right wing with Kirill Kaprizov in the future. And not only is this guy a Russian, a fellow countryman, but I think he has the exact complementary skill set you want opposite the wing of Kirill Kaprizov. You throw Marco Rossi between those two, and man, do you have a fun as hell top line. Yeah, you do. Um, so, to, so to recap here, right now um, we have in three years we're looking at Kaprizov, Rossi, Yurov, Boldy, uh, Huzendinov, Ogren, and then we'll continue to build out our bottom two lines here as we go through the rest of this draft. But pretty good start on the top six yeah. there. So, I mean, there's – Pretty, and I think the last piece I'll bring up is Scott Wheeler and his assessment basically said if you were to put all of his tools onto a scale of one being the strengths and one being the weaknesses, the bucket of strengths would basically be full and there would be like nothing in the weaknesses bucket. So really good player to love here at Danila Yurov. And I think the coolest thing about this pick, and it's something we talked about, was that having two picks allowed teams to maybe take this chance. Take that, as we talked about, that floor pick. This is a guy that sounded like they actually had higher on their board than Liam Ogren, but felt like, hey, we think he's going to get back to us at 24. There was some, you know, we saw in the draft floor, Russo reporting out, Garen's making some calls or chatting. Maybe they'll trade. We were wondering if they'd maybe be trading up to grab Joachim Kemmel, who slipped to, I believe, two picks before. Um, I think he went, ended up going to Nashville, if I recall correctly there. 
and ultimately no trade was made, and they, they ended up getting, I think, probably the top two of their top guys on their draft board. So, again, it's not just finding the talent. I think it's the draft strategy, too, again, here that pays off in spades for um, for the Wild. Yeah, I did want to touch on that one graphic that I sent you guys on draft day. And we can take this with a grain of salt, but in his draft year in the MHL, he's ahead of players um, like Kucherov, Panarin, Buchnevich, and Kaprizov, and he's also ahead of them in their draft year minus one season and draft year minus two season. So, um, I mean, that's pretty exciting in itself. Again, you hope he develops to, to be that, but uh, to see that on paper is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think... He... Oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, do you think with uh, if he played with Kaprizov, they'd score a goal and they'd both go, Opa! <laughs> Well, they already got him to do it for social media. So I know <laughs> the admins are doing are doing yes. all their fans some services here these last couple That's days. Cool. Yeah, and when asked if he's a Kirill Prisov fan, he did say "da," which is da, like the Russian yes. word for yes. So yes. good sign there as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I was just gonna say that I think uh, I think it was Judd Bracken is you know in his interviews after the draft, either first or round or two through seven, who essentially said that they considered picking him with their 19th pick originally. Uh, but then uh, I think, I can't remember. I don't think he gave one into details, obviously, but they, they thought if they went, they wanted Ogren obviously as well. And I thought if they didn't get him there, that he wouldn't last. So, you know, I, that's just the thing. I mean, I think we saw last year when they had, you know, Wallstead, Lambos, Pert, who they said were all in their top, you know, 20-ish on their list. And they got all them, you know, 20th through 50th. And they did a similar thing here uh, this year so. Uh, you know, impressed first round, and I think you know, like you, you know, like you mentioned, Brett. That's the 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 best thing about this is that they're you know we're always complaining about how they can't get stars, how they can't get the high end picks. Well, they you know they haven't even needed to tank to get these guys, which yeah. is pretty good. So who needs top ten picks when you can just grab them in back to back years at twenty and twenty four? <laughs> yeah, or when a top three talent falls to you at nine. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's back how it goes. Back there you go back to back to back to back years if you count Boldy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, an, an incredible first round once again. Um, got like A, A-plus ranks from from scouts. Um, day two, maybe a little bit, I don't know if underwhelming is the right word, but it felt like they maybe left some big names on the board. Um, some guys we liked, Lane Hudson, um, Gleb Trikasov. Um, a couple others were available for them um, at both 47 and 56. They elect to pass on them. Um, in the moment, I was angry, but as I've looked more into these prospects, I'm starting to come around on them, trying to be like not like, oh, everyone Judd Brackett drafts is great, but like also that's true. Um, <laughs> um, but so they don't take maybe guys that we'd hope they would, um, but some really solid players nonetheless. And we'll start with who they grabbed at 47th overall, and that is Hunter Haight. Um, a center from the Barry Colts in the OHL, five foot ten, one hundred seventy four pounds. Um, right shot too. A right shot, yep, which is huge. Um, a guy that maybe seems like um, is projecting maybe to be a more effective on the wing than at center, um, but again, having that talent to play center is there. Um, and what is he doing right now? Um, an interesting player. He was kind of all over on draft boards. Um, I think as high as I believe elite prospects had him at like thirty four. Um, Scott Wheeler hiring him as well. I believe Corey Promen a little bit lower. Um, but Elite Prospects loves his holistic skill set. 
um, pretty much giving him above average ranks across the board in every area of their skill assessments, like across their whole spectrum. His like average score was in the 95th percentile of all players in this draft above some of those players that went um, in the top 10. Um, much like we talked about with Ogren, Yurov, highlight of his skill set um, is his stick handling ability. Um, when they drafted him, I did share a video from uh, Cam Robinson, who's the video scout for Elite Prospects. Of it's just a compilation of him just toe dragging around defenders. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, if you scroll back to draft day, you'll see that on my Twitter. Um, a great two way game um, as well. You know, guy that can play 200 feet across the ice. Um, and the reason he maybe fell a little bit or maybe looked at as more of a second rounder was he wasn't super productive. Um, in the OHL last year, but it seems like, you know, scouts may believe that, um, you know, losing a year of development because of COVID, you know, you're kind of just come out rusty. You're not quite processing the game at that high level until you start to get used to things. Um, but there's a pretty high belief that he'll be kind of a potential breakout player um, next year for the OHL, which is really, really exciting. Um, in my mind, maybe he's a guy that's a little bit more of a, pro- a project, maybe a guy that maybe takes a couple extra years to get going, maybe like an Adam Beckman type. Um, but maybe, you know, seeming like there's legitimate talent there. Um, it seems like he could be a really good player on the wing, a guy that could kill penalties. Again, you're looking at probably potential middle six player here, whether that's down the middle um, or on the wing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you mentioned, Brett, the losing year, the year, obviously, to the pandemic and the CHL the year before that, I think you know, that's kind of the mindset I went into the second day with because, you know, obviously, you know, there's – once they get past the first round or there's kind of a consensus group of guys that are, are players that are going to go, it's kind of all over the place. Like you just, you know, they, from what I've read in the past, it seems like the, the GM at that point, they just let the scouts go up there and kind of, you know, obviously get their picks. I mean, like, so I think that is probably a big factor in this that just, you know, no one really maybe knew what to necessarily expect uh, in the goal scoring column. But I mean, you know, like you said, project second round, I mean, I guess not much to add, but I just, I just think that, uh, you know, like I said, I just think that to keep that in mind with a lot of these guys is that, uh, you know, they're maybe not the name or the, the flash, the huge production, but I think once you get past, you know, that, that first round, that's just kind of what you're looking is, you know, like they usually say guys with a couple of tools, you know, in their skill set already and looking to, you know, maybe develop a couple more into, you know, hopefully making him a good NHL player. And like you mentioned, Brett, when you, if, you know, if you have that that skill and the ability to move like he does, that's a good start. Yeah, I don't got much to add. I did. Uh, he kind of took my thought when you were describing him. I thought of Adam Beckman, oh. and then you mentioned his name. <laughs> it's like <clears throat> it's so similar in 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 the way you described it. It's like unknown, just that player that just becomes really good. Uh, we hope we do the same. We got him obviously at forty seven. He was. Uh, ranked by Elite Prospects as number 34. NHL Central scouted him had 44. Bob McKenzie had him a little bit further down, 68. But, I mean, seems like a good value pick there. Uh, I didn't really know anything about him until <laughs> until we drafted him. But uh, Elite Prospects had him as one of the most skilled fours. I think you mentioned that, Brett. Yep. And then, you know, tenacious on the back check, willing to dig in the corner, fight for pucks. Uh, and then he was mentioned by Dauber prospects to have great vision, especially on the power play. So we can use all the special teams help we can get. And maybe, you know, who knows what the future holds with these guys, but uh, I'll take all the special teams we can get. Yeah. And again, Zeke, as you mentioned, like a common theme in this year's draft seems to be work ethic and, a 
you know, puck handling ability, mm-hmm. like yeah. two great characteristics that kind of all these first three picks share. Um, so some good picks here. All right, let's end this here because we have four minutes left and then we'll talk about the rest. Um, and then I realized we didn't talk about Kaprizov, so we'll do that at the end and then I'll edit it in somewhere. Okay. So we get to that too. Um, all right, so I'll end this call. I'll send over a new link in a second. Cool. All right. Ricard Raquel in Pittsburgh agreed on a deal. Teeny bit of feedback. Okay, great. Of course. Just like now, it's just like a ticking. It's just like a. <laughs> but now it went away again. So just... right along here now, um, another second round pick for the Wild in this year's draft. Um, this was the compensatory pick that they got for um, not um, giving Philip Johansson a contract, and they turned that pick into Rieger Lorenz, a six foot two, hundred ninety four pound. Um, Ford, who's played both at center as well as the left wing, played last year in the AJHL um, and will be heading off next year to the NCHC to play against your UMD Bulldogs with the Denver Pioneers. Um, another guy that I really hadn't heard much talk of, but, um, you know, a guy that after reading up on him, I have hope for. Yeah, yeah I mean, oh, sorry, Justin. Oh, sorry, Jake. <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. You can go ahead. I'll let you. Well, no, I was just going to say there was a found an article on Lorenz and the hockey writers by uh, Dayton Reimer, who kind of, as you mentioned, already played for, I I think I'm saying this right, the Okotoks Oilers or something like that. But obviously, he had the 85 points in uh, 60 games there. But, and obviously, the AJHL is not, you know, it's, I don't think it's the same level as the CHL, but it's, there's still a lot of decent players and good college players that come out of there. And he was, the only teenager to finish in the top 15 in points in the AJHL and was one of three players still under 19 years old to end with uh, being at more than a point per game pace, as well as having a 26 point lead over the next high, next highest scorer on his team. So, uh, you know, for, you know, kind of when you consider his age and, and whatnot in that league, he had a really good year, but I mean, so I just wanted to add that quick for context. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he will be going to our, our rival in Denver, but we still love him. <laughs> uh, but no, he he's a 
I read his most intriguing aspect is his offensive game. Mm-hmm. Incredibly quick, strong skater, uh, and then also played special teams thanks to sen- his sense and his frame. Uh, this past season, he was named AJHL All-Rookie Team. He was named All-Star Team Rookie of the Year, and then he was also named CGHL Top Rookie. So uh, it seems like uh, Brackett has a knack for finding these guys and, and kind of developmental players that are maybe raw a little bit, but can they can kind of mold them how they want them to be. Yeah, it seems like a guy, I mean, you look at the size, you look at the skill set, like, you know, if Jordan Greenway or Marcus Foligno maybe isn't kind of that long-term fit on that grief line, he feels like a grief line player to me. Like, a guy that's going to forecheck hard, bigger body, still some offensive skill there. Um, but I think a guy that will be really fun to monitor to see, you know, we just talked about the, the AJHL maybe not as strong as the league as the OHL, you know, some of these other major junior leagues. Um, seeing what he looks like kind of at the NCAA level, you know, does he have the potential to kind of be that very impact player you know, kind of in year one. So I think watching how he really, you know, adapts into that next level of hockey will be will be key for him. But obviously, you know, a second round pick, a guy they think highly of, um, you know, basically playing with free money here, um, a pick that they got for, um, you know, if he ends up being better than Philip Johansson and getting a contract, it seems like it's a good, uh, good play by me. So yeah. um, for sure, a fun player to watch and a player that uh, we should be able to have ample opportunities to watch, um, given that he'll be playing some college hockey. So... Mm-hmm. Um, let's move right along to potentially one of my uh, favorite non-first rounders drafted, um, and I believe I'm saying straight, Mikey Milne. Um, I believe is how it said. Um, a center, five eleven, 185 pounds. Uh, he was Carson Lambos's teammate for the Winnipeg Ice in the Dub. Um, Judd's first WHL player of the draft. We know they love that class. Obviously, we're probably watching plenty of Carson Lambos. Um, and this guy must have popped out as him, and they're like, hey, is, that guy's 19. Why did nobody draft this guy? And they're like, we should draft this guy. So an overager, and I think that's barely, I think it's by like a week or a week and a half that he was draft eligible last year. So take overage with a grain of salt. He was essentially a you know this year draft pick. Um, but you know it seems like in hindsight, a lot of teams missed out on him last year. Um, led Winnipeg in scoring this year with 81 points in 61 games. Kid just has a motor that absolutely never stops. Pest in the defensive zone. Loves to work his ass off to retrieve pucks, both in the forecheck and the defensive zone. Maybe not a guy that projects the top of lineup player, but a pretty good bottom six player. Um, to me, it screams Connor Duar 2.0. And if there's another player out there that plays at Connor Duar, sign me up. I'm all in. <laughs> give me two Connor Dewars on the same line, on the Eck line. I don't give a crap. If I have two Connor Dewars in the ice at the same time, that sounds like heaven. So, you know, it, it seems like this is a sneaky good pick here again by Brackett, um, you know, a player that you know, was identified by a lot of groups like, hey, this is an overager that people need to keep their eyes on this year. And sure enough, it's Judd and company that uh, go out and make this pick. Yeah, I mean, he was maybe the top overager, uh, who knows, in time. But I, I remember seeing his name a lot, tracking Lambos for the prospects. I'd always see Millie's name, of course, with all the other guys. But, yeah, I mean, he's kind of touched – similar to what you said, but a, a nuisance in the defensive zone uh, plays a physical game. Like you said, kind of like a doer. Um, I, I read the most potent, potent off the puck scoring threat is that he can find soft areas of the ice and, and then dominate physically in front of the net. Maybe like a Zach Parisi type in front of the net play. But uh, yeah, his, his defense is his real selling point. But like you said, a motor that never stops. And then uh, 
a body which bodes well for retrievals. So, uh, yeah, pretty exciting pick for, uh, uh, you know, the third round. Yeah, no, but like you said, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see if he, uh, you know, repeats, I guess, you know, the offensive jump in the WHL this year or even gets better will uh, be exciting to follow this year, uh, you know, because like you mentioned, Brett, seems to be a, you know, fairly kind of higher floor, I guess, kind of guy who you mentioned is probably has a pretty good chance of playing games with the Wild eventually. Absolutely. Moving right along, 121st overall into the fourth round now. The next pick was a right-handed defenseman, six foot one, 179 pounds, and that's Ryan Healy, um, who will be playing his next season at Harvard at Hockey East um, in the NCAA. Um, if there was a pick that maybe scouts didn't love as much, it was probably this pick um, and the next pick, but there were still some people out there. Um, that believe in the NHL talent, that think there was still a, a pick to be made here and a guy that was going to get picked at some point during the draft anyway. Um, and I think the fourth round is when you just start taking shots on guys and identifying players that you like and taking shots on them. And that's what they do here, adding you know yet another defenseman to you know a, a prospect who we already talked about is absolutely loaded um, on the blue line. Yeah, I think just, you know, like you said, uh, put up, 21 points in uh, 59 games in the USHL last year. Not much of a, you know, history that, you know, that you can see statistically beyond that, but, you know, like another right shot defenseman, which, you know, which I suppose is good, but yeah, like you said, just another, just another, basically another dart you throw. I'm sure, I guess I haven't known for sure, but I'm guessing he's going to go to college. So, you know, get four years there. So, you know, who knows, maybe in four years, these kind of guys will eventually turn into a player as they get older, but we'll see. Yeah, and so I think that's a good point, and it's a note I made here. You know, with having as many defensive prospects that they do, the nice thing for you know a little bit more of a raw type defense prospect. This isn't a guy that you have to rush. This is a guy that can take his time, that can develop um, because of the depth that the Wild have currently on the blue line, and you know coming up in the pipeline as well. So I think that works out well, both from a Wild standpoint um, as well as from his own development standpoint. Worst case, you know, he starts to develop into a legit defenseman and he becomes a trade chip that you can use down the line as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I also <clears throat> like to mention, you know, points aren't everything for defensemen, obviously, mm-hmm. but he, he was on the lowest scoring team in the USHL this past season. Um, he did play on the U18 USA Linka Gretzky Cup team in 2021. Um, he's been known to run uh, the blue line on the power play and make uh, strong offensive reads. Thinks the game at a high speed, I read, has ability to play physical and make quick plays in the D zone. Solid gap control, but uh, one knock was not an explosive skater. So obviously someone that's going to have to develop, you know, fourth rounder, like you said, take a, you know, kind of throw darts and hope they develop into something good. Uh, Nothing wrong with the pick in my eyes. Yeah, the other kind of knocks on his game were basically just like the defensive IQ just doesn't seem to quite have fully developed yet. Um, a guy that likes to kind of ring the puck around the boards, chip it off. Um, really good thinking the game offensively, but it seems to kind of go away in the defensive zone where he's maybe not making those creative plays, just trying to alleviate pressure. So it kind of you know gave me a little bit of like early career Matt Dumba vibes, like really electric in the offensive zone you know, gives you heart attacks when he's playing in the defensive zone. So again, another guy going to college next year, Harvard. Um, so plenty of room, um, to develop there. Um, next pick, we're now in the fifth round. They again go with a right shot defenseman, 
Um, David Spachek, son, I believe, of Yaroslav Spachek, um, played for the Sherbrooke Phoenix in the QMJHL. Um, if there's a player in the draft that just really doesn't excite me at all um, from this class, it's probably David Spachek. Um, for me, at a high level, just doesn't really seem like a whole lot of upside here to me. Um, kind of a clunky skater, like offense or defense don't really jump out at a high level. Scouts seem to be, you know, a little hesitant if there's a real NHL upside here. But in my mind, like you look at the defense, there's probably going to be Iowa, you know, a bunch of these guys that are going to be in Iowa for a year or two being moved up to the NHL, being traded out. So I think at the very least, he gives you some stability to your blue line in Iowa. Um, you know, maybe help some of these other guys develop in the future too, which I don't think is a bad thing. So again, is there yeah. an NHL ceiling here? I'm not sure. Um, does that make it a bad pick in the fifth, sixth round? No, I don't think so by any means. Well, no, not every fifth round pick is Kirill Kaprizov. As we Correct. Know, so, but I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think even a lot of the things mentioned, but not the greatest skater, not particularly great in anything. I mean, he did have a decent year in the QMJHL, you know, 12 goals, 50 points in 57 games, and then 13-11. But as you said, he is an overager. Um, you know, from scouting reports I've read, you know, the last few days, it seems that he has a decent shot from the point and can do some stuff on the power play. But, I mean, you know, like you said, just a, another guy with not maybe necessarily a ton there. But, uh, you know, again, like we said, filling, said, filling in your system with, guys on D for depth, uh, as you mentioned, Brett isn't a bad thing. So I guess we'll just uh, we'll see how he, you know, like all these guys, we'll just see what happens in the next couple of years. Yeah. I would like to add he earned <clears throat> the award of the best defensive rookie for the Q oh, okay. uh, and earned a spot on the all rookie team. Uh, spent a few years in Chechia before then, but like you mentioned, Zeke, his shot from the point is probably his strongest asset. He does play a, a stronger defensive game and a physical presence. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely going to be a developmental piece. But when these with these later on picks, you just kind of like throwing darts on a board. I mean, <laughs> I, I know it's more than that to like Judd Brackett and these guys, but uh, really at that point, it's kind of a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the offensive numbers were there, but it seems like the concern is was that a product of his actual offensive skill, or was it more mm-hmm. of you know being on one of the highest scoring teams in the queue last year? And you know, I think he was their number one defenseman, so obviously out there a bunch getting puck touches. But um, we'll see. Again, a guy that you know got to watch how the next years develop. Um, but again, worst case, if he ends up being an Iowa guy as a fifth round pick, who really gives a shit at that point? So, yeah. um, the next guy, the final pick of the draft. I think outside of Yurov, this might go down as one of the best steals of the draft for the Wild, um, and that's Servak Petrovsky, um, another center, five foot ten, one hundred eighty-one pounds, decent size. Um, another guy from the OHL played for the Owen Sound Attack, um, and this was a guy that, as I was looking at him, like, how did we get this guy? Like he mm-hmm. went almost 90 picks later than where he was ranked and projected. Yeah. Um, 92nd overall by elite prospects, 93rd overall by Corey Pronman. Um, Scott Wheeler, who we've had on this show before at the athletic ranked hundred prospects and said, um, Petrovsky is one of his final cuts of that list of his top hundred. Um, I couldn't find anything that really indicated why this guy dropped. There wasn't an injury. The only thing that I really could find potentially um, he's one of the youngest players in the draft with an August 2004 birthday. So kind of barely making the cut of draft eligible. Um, but maybe like a Mikey Milne type where like, yeah, this guy was, you know, pretty young. Um, but the wild take their shot here. And, um, to me, it seems like there's a lot to like about this guy. 
Um, really well-rounded player who succeeds offensively through his off-puck reads and shooting skills. Um, great at finding the soft spots. Again, another trend that we've heard from a lot of these guys. Um, but again, the real value here for me is this this guy has really good defensive abilities, scanning the zone, making smart reads, getting in lanes to disrupt play. Um, again, I think, you know, we've talked about maybe net a ceiling play, but much like, um, you know, again, like Mike Milne, um, a guy that maybe projects into the bottom six, maybe playing a shutdown role. Maybe he's a guy on the yak line. Maybe he's that third piece there. Maybe he's just a mainstay on your fourth line as well. Um, but to me, to get a guy like this, um, in the sixth round is awesome. And the other curious thing I kind of found while digging into him a little bit more um, was these NHL NHL E equivalency models, like like Byron Bader's, um, and then Top Down Hockey is the one I want to talk about here. Um, I believe Top Down Hockey's model had him as like a potential first round offensive talent. So like a lot mm-hmm. to like here. Like a seems like a pretty you know a, a pretty savvy pick um, with your last pick of the draft. Yeah, I will say Brett, you mentioned kind of why. You know that he was that maybe fell all the way to the sixth round. I found uh, kind of looking through Hockey Raiders articles and some other places that a few other places kind of said that he wasn't, you know, playing as high up in the in the lineup for the Owen Sound attack in the OHL this year. Like you mentioned with his age, so and seemingly he got more of a chance to kind of play in more opportunities this year. So that could uh, think that might be an explanation for for some of that at the very least. Yeah, I also thought this was a good pick. You know, he's he's one of those players that loves to score goals. Um, very good at opening space for himself, getting into position for a one-timer. Uh, this is something I've said about a couple of the prospects, not afraid to get in tight and score dirty goals. Uh, he has incredibly quick hands. I, I've seen uh, some of the highlight videos on, on Twitter I've, I've found just by searching his name, and his hands are really dang good from the couple of highlights I saw. Um, you know, could use work in the face-off dot and consistency there, but overall, I, I feel like this was a really sneaky pick. Yeah, absolutely it was. Mm-hmm. So again, um, overall, we're really happy with the draft class. Some guys we think have, you know, there's probably three guys here we feel like have potential to be top nine guys. Um, the rest maybe more bottom six guys. Um, but to me, that's a pretty dang good draft when you're picking late in each round. Um, to get a top, you know, to get the a potential top line guy late in the first round, big steal. Um, so again, just master class drafting from Bill Guerin, Judd Brackett. They don't make any trades at this draft at all. Got guys they identified, um, and you'll be able to see Hunter Hate, uh, Mikey Mikey Milne, Liam Ogren, Servak Petrovsky, um, <clears throat> and I think let's see David Spachek. Ryan Healy um, will all be at the development camp this week. So the only one I believe out of this class that will not be there is Danila Yurov. Um, and it sounds like the reasoning for that is the KHL um, development camps, I believe, kicked <laughs> off this week as well, um, which is the same reason why uh, Matt Vaguskov, Murat Huznadinov, and we're thinking maybe potentially Nikita Nestorenko. We don't know why he's not here. Might be back in Russia. <laughs> um, but kind of those are the four maybe notable prospects that won't be there. Um, but again, KHL obligations take some precedent here um over the nhl development camp but a great you know a, a great league that's where kokaprizov came from yeah. so we know they develop players well in that league um we don't want those players being benched so going to those camps is probably um in their best interest but um just any more overall takeaways from you guys from you know another great draft class 
No, I'm just super pumped that we got one of our top two players that we identified. I know we're not professional scouts or anything, but uh, mm-hmm. we do a lot of reading and, and a lot of video watching to prepare for these shows. And just, you know, it's amazing to see us be able to pump our fists year after year, it seems like, with someone falling yeah. into us. It's just it's amazing to have this scouting staff and this this management group. Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a great point. Like, you know, like you've mentioned a few times, Justin, that, you know, every year they seem to, you know, just conveniently pick one of the top couple guys on our personal list. But I, I just think overall it's uh, just kind of exciting these last few years. I mean, just to keep adding to that system and just to, you know, kind of I guess start to dream or start to think about, you know, what it's going to team's going to look like, you know, in three years when the buyout cap hits are kind of gone and just kind of, you know, the long-term potential of this team and, you know, kind of how exciting that is seeming to start to add up to be, you know, even just adding to what they already have. So it's, uh, it, it's, it definitely is, it's just it's fun to, you know, like I said, give some, I guess, hope or excitement for, uh, you know, after these next few years, how good this team could be. All right. So a great draft class again from the Minnesota wild stoked for what they're able to do. Um, off season almost wrapped up as we mentioned Wednesday afternoon, I believe, or morning. I don't know the exact time free agency opens up. Um, the wild probably not going to be gigantic players, maybe looking for a bottom six forward for the NHL roster. And then maybe some tweeners, some guys for Iowa to kind of fill out that roster as well. Development camp kicks off this week. You can go see all the big name players, you know, your Marco Rossi's, your Jesper Wallstedt's, your Adam Beckman's, Liam Ogren, a bunch of the other draftees from this class will be there. Um, should be a fun time if you're able to get out there and check that out. Justin will be there on Wednesday, I believe, right? Yep. So yep. if you see me <clears throat> wrestling three kids and, and losing, that's me and my family. Yep. So go say hi to him, maybe distract the kids for five minutes, give him a breather. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, this is kind of the last big week probably for the wild here until, you know, we get more towards the preseason. So, um, which means our show will be taking a little bit of a step back, probably back to our once every other week schedule. Um, but as I did reveal on the soda pod live stream, for those that were listening, we do have a really fun show, um, with the three guys over there with Hoppy, Isha and our friend spoke Z, um, we'll be doing a comprehensive prospect pool ranking, a power ranking where each of us create a list. We consolidate that list into one master list of our rankings of the Wilds' top prospects um, from Marco Rossi all the way down. We'll probably go about 20 names deep or so. Mm -hmm. Um, So that'll be next week. I believe we're hoping to record that on Wednesday night. Um, So stay tuned for that. I'm not sure if that will be um, posted on our feed or on the SodaPod feed, but we will let you know via Twitter either way. Um, so that's all like the big news I got guys that's, you know, puts a wrap on a, another pretty beefy show here, um, as they tend to be this time mm-hmm. of year. So, um, with that said, any final thoughts here before you finally wrap this show up? Uh, no, I mean, Wednesday, the, the free agency does start at 11 o'clock our time. If people really want to know. So that's close. That's like afternoon, morning. That's yeah, right in between yeah, that. Right in there. <laughs> um, again, Wednesday, if you're at the development camp, don't be afraid to say hi. If you don't want to say hi, that's fine too. <laughs> I'll be there. So, yeah, uh, just uh, another exciting draft week. And, uh, yeah, I, just reiterating that uh, I'm absolutely ecstatic, ecstatic that we got that year off. Zeke? Yeah. No, just you know, same thing, obviously, with all the – Events last week this time of year that people are interested in listening, but we've uh, kind of had a couple of our most listened to and downloaded episodes here with the draft preview and uh, I'm trying to remember what 
and one of the couple of episodes last week have been a lot you know you all have listened to very much so we really appreciate all the support and listening over the last few weeks uh, it's been fun uh just to obviously dig into all this and uh you know hey it's july 11th now but uh you know because of the pandemic and all that stuff it's uh you know, not going to be a super long off season. So, uh, and like Brett said, we uh, won't be completely gone, but just uh, thanks for your support as always. And a little bit of Minnesota Wild minor breaking news. Um, Zane McIntyre given an oh. extension. Um, one year, two-way deal. He would have become a free agent on Wednesday. That's per our friend Michael Russo. Um, he did very good for Iowa when he, he did. when he stepped in. Yep, and they will clearly need um, some help down there. Um, so it looks like a, a Wallstedt-McIntyre um, duo, likely in Iowa this year. I think that was made abundantly clear as well um, by the Wild not qualifying Derek Barabow, um as well, who will, will hit free agency um, as well. So that's that. Um, great show. Um, back next Wednesday with a mega show with the Soda Pod, ranking all the prospects um, before we head into a little bit more of our every other week kind of rotation. So... With that said, Justin, remind uh, everyone where they can find you and your work in the meantime. Uh, you can find me at DEs2004. You can find me at CapriceFC with the CapriceF Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns. All right, Zeke. Uh, as usual, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Zeke Boyat with the uh, capital Z and capital B. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well, at SoundTheFoghorn, all one word, both on Twitter and now uh, very active once again on Instagram, so check us out there as well. Big episode next week, so be sure you stick around, tune into that. But until then, this has been another episode of Sound the Foghorn.